You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I am your host, Louis Kornfeld, and today I'm speaking with the great Alexis Lambright. Alexis, thank you for being here. Ah, thanks for having me, Louis. <laughs> uh, uh, you just celebrated the four-year anniversary of The Wrath, which we were just talking about moments ago. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, um, and along with The Wrath, Alexis is also a contributing writer for Reductress.com and a member of the Story Pirates yes. uh, uh, and the creator and writer and star of uh, uh, The Fringe festival uh, 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 favorite, the Alexis Lambright telethon to combat adult virginity. I'm delighted. I feel it's been like we've had many near misses to record this particular conversation. I'm delighted to finally sit down and do it. Me too. I'm I'm sorry it took <laughs> it took us so long. It, it, on both of our parts. <laughs> Uh, um, let's uh, dive right on in. So we were just talking about the wrath and, and the milestone of celebrating for your anniversary. I'm going to ask you a question. I feel like I've asked this many times on the podcast, but I'm very curious to get everybody's perspective on it. Uh, um, what makes the wrath such an awesome team? Why is the wrath so amazing from your position? Been on, you've been on now a little over two years. Yes. Uh, um, why does the wrath work, Alexis? What's the secret? <laughs> the secret. Um, I was just talking about this with someone recently. Um, with my other team, well, I won't even talk about other teams. I'll just say um, since day one with the Wrath, there has never been a time where I, where my ideas were not supported or justified in some way on stage or in practice. And I, like, it's kind of, it was weird at first because, like, I'm used to, like, maybe there's going to be a little delay if I come out with some character choice that people don't understand. And, okay, maybe the scene won't work out. But that's okay. We're, we're just doing it in practice. Or if it happens in a show, it's not the end of the world. But I've always had someone back me up. And I've always had someone, like, justify any, like, thing that I felt not so confident about. Hmm. And... It's just made me feel great. I'm like, oh, I'm on a team with such supportive, smart players. And I think for me, I, th I think that's, that's a big part of our success is yeah. that everyone is, when we say I got your back, like we really mean it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, I, uh, not to so early in the podcast veer this into a conversation about Star Trek, but... I uh, read an article like a couple of years ago that was talking about why some, some I forget who wrote it. I wish I remembered. They were talking about what was so great about Star Trek to them. And they said that the number one thing they loved about it was that everybody, every character assumes the competence of every other character. Um, everyone just assumes that everyone else is great at their job and knows what they're doing and doesn't need to be... Uh, um, told or advised anything. And, and I feel like... Uh, uh, like a really good improv team is very much like the crew of the enterprise and like you just assume the excellence of everybody around you. It, it just like, you come back to that idea over and over and over again when you talk about the great teams, everybody just like trusts the hell out of each other. Like yeah. unquestionably assumes that if you're making a choice, you have a good reason to make the choice, even if you're not 100% sure about it. Yeah. Anyway, that's the end of that. I, I just <laughs> felt like sharing that. 
Cool. Uh, um, uh, I, I want to ask two questions about your experiences on the RAF. One is you joined the team when it was already in progress. They had already been together for about two years yes. when you joined. Yes. Um, um, so what are the challenges that you face when you join a team that already has an identity to it? That would be the first part of my question. Or, in, or yeah, that would be the question. Uh, I definitely, um, I was, I was nervous because they had an identity and also a rapport with everyone. And, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they had seen me perform and they, so they knew my style a little bit, but still like I knew I was going in and kind of had to adjust a little bit, um, to their style, but also, just because they are such great performers, I, I feared that I would, as the new kid, like bring down the quality of the show mm-hmm. because they weren't, because like we weren't completely on the same page. Um, but I think, it, I mean, it ended up, we ended up having really good shows anyway. Like they still supported everything. And it was just me in my head kind of for like, I'd say a good few months where I was just like kind of not doing not doing what I wanted to do because I wanted to adjust to their style um and I didn't want to like disrupt the flow of things yeah um and I I remember this was probably like November December I think it was November, so it was, it, I had joined in September of uh, 2013? 13. Yes, I forgot what year we're in, 2015. Okay, and um, yeah, it was at the end of a show in November. I, like, in the show, I, I hadn't really contributed much, and the moves I made were, were not, like, funny to me. Mm-hmm. And they fit the show, and, like, everyone else had some awesome character choices, and the show went very well. And um, we were getting notes, and, like, for the first time ever, I just started crying. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I did not like what I did. And I just felt... I, I just said, like, very few words. I was just like, oh, I just didn't like what I did, and I, I need to get out of my head. And... um at the time, uh, Emily was uh, Emily Shapiro was um, in Costa Rica, so it was just I was the only woman on the team mm-hmm. <laughs> for a little while, and it was us and then like Nick Canales who was uh, coaching us. Um, so it was me and a bunch of dudes, and I think they all got like really uncomfortable seeing this woman like cry. But I think it also sent a message of like, or I I at least. Um, communicated that I wasn't doing what I wanted to do and um Nick saw that and then like he pushed me a little harder in in the next practice in the next couple practices and like um gave me different exercises to like designed for me to get out of my head mm-hmm. and um that really helped because after that I didn't have any shows like that <laughs> do you sometimes you'll feel you feel frustrated because you're not doing what you want to do in a show, but you don't always know what that is. Like you, you kind of know that you're not doing your thing. Yeah. 
but you may not have like a positive idea about what your thing is. Did, did you have a positive idea about it and you felt kind of uh, um, inhibited or, or was it just a thing that you knew you weren't in your, in your zone? Yeah, I just knew I wasn't in my zone. Yeah. Like it, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew what I was doing was not funny to me. Yeah. And was not, um, not even necessarily had to be funny, but just like, it wasn't my best work. And um, I, I know in certain shows when I'm able to do like a, a character that I feel... It feels like, I guess, genuine. Mm. Um, even if it doesn't get like a ton of laughs, I still feel good that I came out and did that character. Yeah, like I wasn't even able to do that because I was just so in my head that I was like, okay, I gotta follow the. We were doing the Herald, so I, I was like, okay, I gotta follow the structure, and I don't want to jump out too soon with something. So maybe just contribute to those characters and follow that game and. And and I wasn't really doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. Do you remember the kind of stuff that Nick was pushing you into that kind of freed you and 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 and, and got you into your zone? Well, for one thing, he had me, um, like initiate scenes. Mm-hmm. That was a a main thing. That that was like a big thing, which I still have issues with that now. Um, I don't think it's an issue. It's just more like that's just my my style yeah. of like okay, I'm gonna watch the first couple scenes, see what is going on, and then uh, contribute to that and bring something bring something uh, that I feel like will complement yeah the so to to make the show you know smooth you know. Run smoothly. I I use you as an example in my classes uh, uh, pretty often, um, especially when people talk. I hope this doesn't embarrass you. <laughs> especially when people in class will will talk about feeling like really rushed in shows or feeling like they they have to move a, a lot quicker than they're comfortable or before they know what to do. Mm-hmm. And and um, so like I talk about you in classes and recommend people watch you play because two observations I would make about you as an improviser. One, it's not uncommon for you to spend the first few minutes of a show kind of hanging back, watching, and taking it all in. Mm-hmm. And then you'll come out and do just the perfect move. Like, absolutely, the, the, this, like, accent that, that just, like, makes it all come alive. Um, but on those occasions where it's a smaller cast or, you know... Uh, um, you have no problem whatsoever stepping out and taking the lead and 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 initiating really strongly. So, like I, I point to you a lot of times as an example of someone who you do what you want to do on stage, and, and but you're not trapped by it. You're not limited okay. to feel like you have to be pushing out these initiations just because you have to. But you're also you have like great flexibility to play exactly the way that you want to play. But on a dime, you're able to do something different if it's right for the show or right for the team. The other observation I would make about the way that you play is you move beautifully. You, it's watching you walk around the stage is so funny. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it is like, cause I want to talk to you about the kind of choices that make you really happy because it, it, I know what you mean when you make those choices that even may not be getting huge laughs, but you know that they're right. They just like feel correct. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you feel it because there's like a spark in, in your eye when it's happening. There's like, you, you catch that glint and you know that, that, that you feel comfortable in this character's skin, but also you, you're able to surprise yourself with it too. It's just like that perfect, everything comes into like alignment. There's that perfect phasing. Yeah. And when you do that, you have all these like small, subtle ways of moving and using your hands and, 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 and posturing without looking like you're posturing, but it, it just, it's so precise and it feels all of a sudden like the character that you have in mind is like absolutely standing there in front of your <laughs> eyes. That's what I love about watching you play is this, this amazing sense of precision. You're very patient, but when you move it, it, it it's, you paint with like the fine brushes. Um, uh, so I'm curious, like what, I'm sorry. No, thank you. It's <laughs> What, what makes you like really happy in a show? Like what, what, what is your idea of a perfect show? What's your idea? What's the kind of character that you love to play? Do you feel more comfortable playing close to yourself or do you feel comfortable kind of speaking in, in other people's voices? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I like speaking in other people's voices. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, in my mind, improv is the place where I can come up with these like fun characters and um, or like bring characters that I've met in my life, um, well, bits and pieces of them. I'm not one to like sit in a park and like uh, people watch and, mm. and write down every mannerism. I don't do that stuff, which I kind of wish I I did, but that's that's just like never something I've been able to do. But if I meet people or if I see someone, um, like maybe one characteristic stands out to me and I'll remember it later. And then months later, <laughs> then I might add it. I might come up with it on stage mm-hmm. and like create that character on stage. Um, D- deliberately or, or does it just kind of come out of you? It just kind of comes out of me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not like, it's not like, a, oh, tonight I'm going to be right. <laughs> so-and-so. Right. But if you're on the sidelines, are you thinking of like, oh, this person, this person from two months ago would be perfect in this situation right now? Yes. Yeah. 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 Like we need to see this woman yeah. here. Um, and then when I'm doing like other stuff, like storytelling, obviously, um, I want to play myself. And so in my head, I kind of have those like improv for characters storytelling Mm -hmm. be myself Mm -hmm. um i want to i want to get to my other question about the wrath in a second but but i want to go back to to um you and emily are the only women on the team yes um what's your experience like of that is that is that weird for you like especially when emily's in costa rica is that something do you feel like an extra pressure when you're the only woman on the team or, or is it something that kind of doesn't, doesn't um, get in the way? I used to. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely the first time when, when she left, cause she had left for, um, like maybe three or four months. She, she was gone for a while. And, um, I used to feel that pressure where I was like, okay, I, am the only woman I've got to make sure that, yeah, that I'm that I'm like doing what I want to do, but also kind of representing it for, mm-hmm. uh, which is a lot of pressure to mm-hmm. put on yourself. 
Um, but there's like that, that voice. I'd say as a woman and also as a black woman, you also, you feel this um, pressure to represent both mm-hmm. um, areas. And... Is that something... I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Is that something that you feel sharpens your play? Or is that like that much more uh, um, uh, uh, to be kind of like dealing with as you're trying to play, if that question makes sense? Like, so, like rising to that, to, to be the best that you can be, is that something that actually makes it easier to get out of your head and just be bold with choices? Or is it... Uh, an extra layer of like worry to think about when you're on a sideline. Yeah. It's, it's an extra layer of worry because, uh, because you can't represent every woman and you can't represent every, uh, person of color or like black person. Um, and it's not like anyone's coming up to me and being like, you know, thank you for, being the voice of our gender or mm-hmm. of our race or whatever. Uh, but there is some internal thing that I feel like I'm not the only performer who has this. I feel like there are others who um, can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so recently I've been trying to just push that away because it does mess with my, <laughs> with my performances. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on occasion, I find myself, if it is, like, uh, if, I, if I notice that I am the only one, like, in a new, in a new setting, maybe not with The Wrath, but, like, maybe a, a mashup show or mm-hmm. something, um, then it, I'll let it um, inform my, my play. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's fun, I think. Like, I'm able to... Um, I might make jokes that other uh, others on the stage can't make because they're not a woman or mm-hmm. because they're not black or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and they get a laugh, but it's also cheap stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but usually for, like, mashup shows, I'm not doing my best work. It's just laughs. Yeah. So. The uh, uh, diversity in improv is a very big topic that everybody's trying to wrap our heads around these days. Yeah. Uh, um, what is your perspective on it? That's such a ridiculously broad question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm really interested in the conversation. And I have to admit, like, I feel, I feel weird bringing it up because I almost feel like I can't talk about it. But it, it's so important that we have to talk about it. Yeah. So, so what are we doing? How are we doing? How do we do better? Um, so I was involved with the... Uh the town hall that mm-hmm. Magnet had uh, last last month, and we're hoping to do another one soon um, and continue these discussions on diversity um, and kind of find out what exactly we want to do with it. Um, with um, Rita Chin's um, essay that she had mm-hmm. contributed to uh, Medium, um, I was glad... I was so glad to see that and to also see other people being like, yeah, this is something that we've been talking about that we don't like Mm -hmm. that, that this community can be a little, can, can feel, you can feel really excluded Mm -hmm. and pushed out. Um, and 
I'd say when I first started doing improv, um, when I first started taking classes at the Magnet, um, I kind of knew going in that it was going to be predominantly white. And um, I guess I later learned that, no, actually, I think even coming in, I was like, okay, it's just going to be mostly white male Hmm. students. And then I discovered they're like in my same age range. Um, and I was kind of okay with that. I was like, okay, well, they just, they just need me to come in and spice stuff up. As if to say, like, not to say that no one else had tried, but I think there was kind of that naivete that, where I was, just, I was just like, uh, maybe for some reason they're not... They they don't know about it. Mm-hmm. And I quickly learned, well, not even quickly. I, I would say, like, over over the course of, like, a year um, taking classes, I was like, okay, yeah, there are other people of color, and there are um, women of color who, take, who are taking improv classes, but they're feeling like they're, they can't really speak in their own voice. Mm-hmm. And like be accepted, and they're like, "Well, why would I spend money on this? Mm-hmm. It's, if I'm only gonna be like, if people don't like what I'm doing, mm-hmm. I'm gonna do something else <laughs> with my money yeah. or or with my time, even." So, I'm glad that uh, you know, I'm I'm glad that this discussion is happening. I I'm looking forward to talking with other people and trying to see what we can do and where this will lead. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm not trying to sound pessimistic, but I know it's going to take a little bit of time. I feel like there are some people, maybe not at Magnet, but just in this industry in general who are stubborn Mm -hmm. don't want that kind of... They don't want the change. Like, they're worried that they're going to be dethroned or whatever. Right. Um, and so I had brought this up at the town hall, and I was like, you know, someone asked, like, well, what do you do? Do you just work on your own stuff, or do you keep trying to um, kind of fit in? And I feel like I'm not the only performer who's saying this. Or at least I can only speak for myself, but I will say, I feel like other people think this as well, that you just got to do both. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be hard mm-hmm. for the whatever, fill in the blank, the person who is not the straight white male mm-hmm. in their 20s, mm-hmm. um, that you just got to do everything, do yeah. your own stuff, keep your foot in the, the classes and in the... Um, at the theaters or, or wherever, whatever you're doing. Um, and then eventually you'll be able to bring the stuff that you've been working on by yourself or mm-hmm. with your small group of peers that are, that are like you. And you can bring it to a larger stage. Yeah. What brought you to it to begin with? When, how long were you improvising when I first met you? Um, like, 
think like three months. Really? <laughs> yeah, because I had, I had level two mm-hmm. for my level two instructor, and I had started taking improv in December of two thousand eight. Okay. So that was yeah, that was my level one. What, was my first? What we we used to do that class up upstairs in the theater yes yeah we used to have to take the folding chairs from down in the theater and ride the elevator and grab them eight at a time uh, <laughs> uh, to set up in the upstairs i remember it was very fun <laughs> uh uh it was fun for me i don't know how other people felt uh um so what brought you to improv in the first place um i had seen a couple improv shows before i started taking improv but they were like I didn't know the difference between long form or short form. Mm. And going as far back as like third grade, we had done like a workshop where this this um, very bubbly, uh, I guess, short form teacher came into our school and and had us do just kind of make up stuff. She gave us like props mm. or something. And then I had another experience like that. Oh, wait, that was actually seventh grade. I'm sorry. That was seventh grade. And then in 10th grade, I had another experience where it was like outside of school. Um, We had this thing in Dayton, Ohio called Muse Machine. And um, it was just an opportunity for, I think it might have been all statewide, but um, an opportunity for uh, middle school and high school uh, students to um, get involved with the arts. Mm. So they had, they had like a production at the end of the year. You can audition and they, they would get students from all over the city to, um, to be in this play, whatever it was. Usually it was a musical. And um, they had a workshop and it was, it was an improv workshop. And the guy teaching it, I don't remember much about him. I just remember that he was like, he seemed really he was like really not into what he was doing. Um, and he was, he seemed like down or like tired or something. Mm. Um, and his voice was pretty like monotone. He was like looking down. (laughs) He just seemed really disinterested in, in it. But, um, he might've been trying to teach us long form. That might've been like what it was. I don't remember. It was a long time ago, but, um, after that, I kind of, I had these two ideas of what improv was. And I wasn't like super, I wasn't like looking for any improv opportunities. And there weren't very many anyway. But um, I knew I wanted to do acting. And in college, I had participated in a couple of plays that the dramatic arts department had done. And I did a comedy and I was like, you know, I really... I've always enjoyed making people laugh. And after that play, I think that's what I'm going to do. I really like comedy. Mm. And then um, I started watching, I was watching that like SNL, uh, I forget, like 30 year special or something. Mm. And they kept talking about um, the second city and like doing improv in Chicago. So I said, um, Hmm, that seems like some. That seems interesting. They keep talking about Chicago and doing improv in Chicago, in the Second City, and um, I had this idea at the time. So this was like a few years after college, or like a couple of years after college. Um, I was 
watching that and working for um, Whole Foods. And I had it in my head that I would go take an improv workshop, and if it went well, then I would just transfer to the Whole Foods in Chicago, and mm-hmm. then I could work there and, and study improv. And I did a, a weekend workshop in October, and um, it was at the Second City. It was a, an intensive sketch or comedy writing and uh, improv. So, mm-hmm. like, we did comedy writing from, like, 9 to 12, and then we had a lunch break, and then we did improv from, like, 1 to 4. Is an interesting order to put it in, to write first and then improvise afterwards? Yeah. Yeah, actually, now that I think about it, that, that's kind of opposite of their, their model, usually. Sort of. The improv sketch. Yeah. But yeah, we did improv in the afternoons. Mm. And... um I think on the last day, or or maybe the night before, my instructor uh, Ranjit Suri, he um, he had a show at uh, IO, and it was a sketch show. It's actually one of the longest running um, musical sketch shows, or like musical sketch groups. I forget what they're called, either the Cupid Players or something along those lines. Um, and I asked him about some improv improv theaters in New York. It's like, I'd love to move to Chicago, but in the meantime, <laughs> uh, where can I study in New York? And he said, he mentioned UCB and he also mentioned the pit, but he also said, but you should check out the magnet because they have really great instructors. That line really stuck. It like stayed in my head. Hmm. I was like, okay, all right, I'll check it out. And then, um, a couple months later, I was going to going to start taking classes at uh, National Comedy Theater, mm-hmm. which they do short form, which I later learned the difference between long form and short form improv. Um, and then something happened and I just ended up going to the Magnet website and I was like, well, let me just sign up for this. And I signed up for the level one and took my first class in December of 08 and the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> what what uh, uh, were you hooked immediately? Like, was it was it what you hoped that it was going to be? Was it something that kept you like? Did you have a sense of like, yeah, this is definitely the direction I want to be going? Yes, I, I'm kind of when I set my mind to something, I don't really, I try not to quit mm-hmm. something unless it's just like really awful. Um, like, I'll quit certain jobs that make me feel like I'm, you know, or I don't feel like I'm uh, valued. Uh-huh. But there, there are very few things that I'll quit. And the first class I ever took, I, um, like I was having fun in the beginning, but I was also, I took like a, a really big vitamin mm-hmm. <laughs> early that day and I felt sick. So mm-hmm. I had to leave. And, um, but I knew I was going to come back. I was, it wasn't like, oh, I had that one bad experience, so I'm going to drop the class. Um, and then, yeah, I just continued. I enjoyed everyone in the class was so, like, excited. And um, Benu was my big brother. Oh, very nice. And he's a great big brother. He's a or big sib. He, um, yeah, just, like, had this, he has this laugh. Yeah. And that encourages you to keep doing, you know, 
keep doing what you're doing. There's such a thrill. This actually takes me back to the other question I wanted to ask about the wrath before. Oh. There, there's a thrill early on, the first couple of levels, uh, um, where where you really like you see it in level one shows a lot when people are on stage and they have that look on their face and their hands are shaking and they mm-hmm. kind of like don't know what's going on, but mm-hmm. they can't stop smiling and there's just yeah. like such like a joy. It, 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 just like a joyfulness, I guess it yeah. is. It's it, it just like electricity running through everybody, and and watching other people go through it makes you deliriously happy, and 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 then it rubs off on you, and it's just like this like really beautiful, yeah. awesome thing. Which I feel like that's the thing that gets so many of us involved to begin with, and and keeps so many of us hooked to begin with, and then we spend the rest of our careers learning how to not have that experience ever again. Mm-hmm. That, that thing of, of being uh, um, open to just like not knowing what the hell is going to happen and, and, and maybe being really afraid of it, but like, okay. And you just yeah. kind of like do what you got to do anyway. Yeah. It, it's, that's the place where, where I think what feels so good about it is that fear converts into surprise. And, and, and you're surprised by the stuff that comes out of you and you're surprised by the stuff that comes out of other people. And you really feel like with it, you know, you're like this live wire and then you learn all of these techniques to protect yourself from ever having to look like you don't know ever again. You you get good enough that you always want to know the right way out of every situation. Mm -hmm. And you always want to know how to make it work and you always want to know how to make it funny. It makes sense. But there comes a point where over time, it, it, it takes you away from the reason that you connected to it to begin with. That sense of like surprise and discovery and and, yeah. and, 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 and being kind of amazed and in love with yourself and everybody around you starts to go away. So this, this is my next question about the wrath. I'm sorry mm-hmm. to take oh, back in. Sorry. So after four years or two years uh, 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 with a group, when you're, when you're with people that are really good and you know that you're really good, you've proven it, how do you keep the romance alive? How do you keep it from feeling like, well, I'm just going to show up and do my thing and then go home and not really care? How do you keep it exciting and how do you keep it improv? Hmm. Um, I think it's like the same way people in... <laughs> In uh, in a marriage, keep it alive. They do different things. Try to spice stuff up. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is exactly what you guys just did for your four-year anniversary, yes, right? Yeah, we can did. You, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, so leading up to our four-year an- four anniversary show, which was on November 4th, the last five weeks, we did a different form every week. So the first week we did the mono scene. We had practiced it like that couple days before, and then we did the mono scene. And then the next week we did, um, I think, five different forms. So we did a five-minute herald, a five-minute mono scene, a uh, five-minute sound in motion, I think that's what it's called. Mm. Um, And then... A form that the audience would give us just a, a made-up name of a form that had never never been done before, and so we did five minutes of that, and or maybe it was like four minutes, something along those lines. Mm. But um, they were really short, and we just kind of kept it moving. 
I think me, maybe even a slacker. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next show was. It's okay if you get them out of order. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. Well, you did, we you did, did a lot of forms in a short period of time. Yes, we did. Yeah. Right. And we did uh, the musical, which was so much fun. <laughs> it was ridiculously fun. And I'm so proud of everyone else. I've done a little bit of musical improv before. I mean, I've taken um, a couple of classes. And for a time, I was um, interning with Baby Wants Candy mm-hmm. when they were playing at the Soho Playhouse. And I could watch the shows after I, you know, did my my duties for the night. And um, just from watching those shows, you learn a lot. And even before that, even before I was interning, I, I used to go to, like, made-up musical all the time. And it was something that I loved to watch and, like, do on occasion. But I was never – either came down to, like, not having the money or, or the time mm-hmm. for the – to continue on with musical improv. It was just something that I liked. I enjoyed, but I wasn't like trying to get on a house team or anything. Um, but the rest of the team besides Ross Taylor, um, had never done musical improv. So it was a little scary for them. And I mean, at at first I was worried that they were just going to just say no to the idea. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they're improvisers, so they said yes. And we ended up doing, we had a rehearsal, and we had so much fun in the rehearsal. And uh, in the show, it was just ridiculously fun and funny. And everyone was, like, on cloud nine at the end of the show, or, like, after the show, yeah. for hours. <laughs> Which is sort of similar to that, like, high that you get in, like, level one and level two. Yeah. That feeling of... of like accomplishment. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um I remember after my first after my level 1 show um which was on like Super Bowl Sunday or something. Mm-hmm. Um I was able to get like some friends to come out even though it was Super Bowl Sunday. Well, many of my friends didn't really watch the Super Bowl anyway, so it wasn't that big a deal. But my older brother came and he wanted to watch but um after that show, I remember being on this, like, cloud and, like, couldn't stop, um, just, like, almost performing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and so, if you know, if I had been around, if present-day Alexis were around Alexis of that year, um, it would be really obnoxious. I probably wouldn't want to be around her because that just... You know, when you're like, you can't stop doing bits and, um, your, your brain is still humming. Yeah. 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 It, you, you gotta like, you, you need to like a decompression time. Yeah. What a great feeling though. It's, it's so yeah, exciting. <laughs> you have, you have two brothers, right? Yes. I have two brothers. Do they find you funny? Um, yeah, they do. Are they funny? Yes, they are. My older brother is so funny. I used to, um just like laugh at everything. I mean, I still laugh at a lot of stuff he, he says, but I think because I've been doing like improv, uh, my stuff's a little more honed. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah. And, and my younger brother is funny too. Yeah. I've, uh, I've noticed 
I've noticed a couple of things that a lot of improvisers seem to have in common. Um, a lot of improvisers seem to have been shy when they were kids. Mm -hmm. uh, um, like a lot of people who are attracted to acting tend to be a little bit more extroverted, and a lot of people who are attracted to improv tend to have been a little more introverted. Mm. That's like kind of a, a, a gross generalization, but but it seems to like happen enough times. And the other thing I've noticed is a lot of improvisers when they were younger were funny, but were not really the funny one necessarily. Yeah. Like they were the second or third banana. Yeah. You used to love the much funnier person. And something about that seems to like drive us into wanting to like hone it. Yeah. But a lot of improvisers that I've talked to, if you like talk to them privately outside of shows, kind of don't feel like they're very funny people really. Mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, what were you like when you were younger? Oh, um, when I was, uh, I'd say up until second grade, I loved to be <laughs> in the spotlight and yeah. I, I was, I had a big mouth and I talked and made jokes all the time. And like in first grade, I talked in class so much that I got, um, we had these like color cards and your, if your color stayed on green for the whole month, you'd get like some incentive or whatever. Um, the last color was purple and I got purple. <laughs> I was the only one oh, because I, <laughs> cause I talked all the time and, um, and I got, I mean, I got in trouble about it, but not really just like my parents were like, you know, you need to pay attention in class, listen in class. And then we, at the time I was living in Virginia mm. and then we moved to Ohio and um, just being the new kid, you don't, people don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> and I became really shy after that. I just, um, like, uh, I, I tried to make people laugh. And then if I said something that was, like, maybe a little too uh, sarcastic or, or, like, a little too snarky, then they would call me on it. And I also, at the same time, had, like, very sensitive feelings. Mm -hmm. So um, I'd make jokes, then they'd say, your jokes, your jokes aren't funny, and then I would cry. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, like, a, a, a daily occurrence for, like, a good couple of years until I just decided, I'm just going to be quiet now. Mm -hmm. And then I just became painfully shy and... Improv definitely um, helped me break out of some of that shyness. Yeah. Um, but I still am a little bit shy. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, um, I kind of, I feel like um, you go through this process growing up. It happens to a lot of people around like high school, but it can happen earlier. You go through this process where, um, uh, um, you get a lot of hang-ups about yourself. You, like, learn how to, like, socialize, mm -hmm. and, and you learn to be embarrassed by things that people will laugh at about you, or you learn to be, like, hurt. Like, you basically learn how to, like, conform. Yeah, yeah. And hide your true feelings mm -hmm. and, and maybe lie to yourself about your true feelings and hide your own weirdness or hide your own uniqueness or, yes. you know, whatever. <laughs> and um, I feel like that's actually, it's a necessary step in a person's life. 
to, to get out and sort of endure adulthood and endure your responsibilities and have to kind of work alongside other people and have to kind of put your own needs sometimes in the, in the passenger seat, you know, yeah. it, it is sort of important to learn to kind of like, eh, shut up and, and yeah. not be too much of yourself. You just got shit that has to be done and that's that. Yes. But I also feel like that it's like a lesson that you learn in order to use when it's appropriate. But a lot of people, an awful lot of people spend their lives kind of, they enter high school and they never really leave high school. Yeah. You just kind of stay in this place where you're holding yourself back and, and, and maybe you're a little bit afraid to acknowledge your own oddness or, yeah. or whatever. And improv to me, I think it's one of the reasons why it's so popular is it like gives people the exit it lets you out of high school for the first time in your grown up life for a lot of people. It, it now it's a place where we take having been laughed at and having that been a painful experience. Now we're laughing at you for all the right reasons. Yeah. You know, where, where all the stuff that you kind of suppress at that stage of your life. Now we're all celebrating it and we all yes. want to see more of it. And, and it kind of like, okay, now I know I've learned how to be kind of a boring adult and now I learn how to like bring back some of that spark of like what makes me a unique individual person and what makes my sense of humor. This is also like something I find so interesting and mysterious about improv is that like it's all about saying yes and it's all about going with the group and it's all about group mind and it's all about kind of subverting yourself to like the will of the show or the spirit of the show or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it only works if your specific individuality comes out in the process of doing that. Mm. And it's almost like learning these, these techniques to, to distract you from thinking about expressing yourself as an individual. You just like have these other goals that have to be tended to. And in the process of not being self-conscious and tending to those goals, your own real individualness now comes through and is there for everybody to see and for everybody to, to take a shine to. Yeah. Um, which I think is like part of the mystery and the magic and the, and the joyfulness of, of group improvisation is that you kind of like find your voice and, 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 and you find what makes you, you in the context of not being you at all or in the context of not needing to, to be original or act original or, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Um, oh man! What, oh, so you were you were in Virginia and then you moved to uh, Dayton, Ohio. Yes. Uh, um, did you move a lot when you were a kid, or was it just that move and then to New York? I, I moved. A, well, we. Um, I was born in Illinois. Okay. And I lived there till I was about five and a half, and then that's when we moved to Virginia. Okay. I lived in Virginia for like a year and a half, and then we moved to Ohio and. I lived there the longest. Like, I grew up in the same home. And then from there, um, after I graduated high school, I moved to New York. And I've actually lived in New York longer than I've lived anywhere else. Do you think of yourself as a New Yorker at this point, or are you still an Ohioan? Uh, You know, I I leave that up to the New Yorkers, (laughs) honestly. uh, Because I catch myself... Recently, I've, I've noticed that I, I'll say, like, going back home, and it has a different meaning. Whereas, you know, in the past, it was like, oh, yeah, Ohio's my home. That's mm. where my parents live or whatever. That's where, you know, the house where I grew up 
is still there. Um, but for one, um, we, they sold the house where I grew up. Um, two, my dad doesn't live in Ohio anymore. Uh, he moved back to South Carolina. Both of my parents are from South Carolina. Okay. And um, he moved back um, in July. And three, I've lived here longer than I've lived in Ohio. So I kind of, it's, it's not as, as much of home as New York is. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm both. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, you can't, like, if you have to choose, it's, it's going to be hard for me because I think of both places as home. But yeah. I really, I couldn't see myself moving back to Ohio. Mm-hmm. So. Are you close with your parents? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my mom is, um, she's still in Ohio and um, recently downsized. And I, I talked to her like once a week. She tries to like talk to all, all of her kids, all three of them. So I was like, you have to call me on this day. So Okay. You it's have, a good, you're, you're allotted time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and my dad, he remarried like seven years ago. Hmm. And, um, and I'll talk to him and his wife occasionally. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, uh, I, I want to like veer away for a second and talk about your improbable friendship with Rebecca Robles. Oh, <laughs> it always amuses it. me to watch the two of you together. First, you have a great show, Coco Dreams. Thank you. Uh, um, uh, but watching the two of you together publicly brings a lot of warmth and happiness to <laughs> me uh, because you're like the perfect foils for each other. Uh, uh, um, can you describe your relationship in a way that is comfortable for you to describe? <laughs> We're like the odd couple. Yeah. She's definitely the happy, bubbly person. And I'm, and, and she's like super extrovert with a capital E. Yeah. And I'm like super introvert with a capital I. And um, when I'm, you know, when I'm happy about something, I don't always like wear it on my face so it might look like I'm down mm-hmm. a lot um I have I just you know I, I'm, I'm not uh what's the word my, my emotions emoted. Mm-hmm. um yeah. yeah yeah all the time um and I think I think she also does this to me on purpose when she sees that I'm like not in a great mood She'll like put it on extra hard and be like, "Hi, I love you," and yeah. like hug me. And <laughs> yeah, that's that is true. <laughs> Which you know, whatever, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> uh, she she will have a way where she'll like you. I, not too long ago, I like came out of the theater and she was talking to this like boy on the street, this like eleven year old boy or something, <laughs> and she was like introducing me to him and then telling me like his life story and whatnot. And then like I found out she like just met him like seconds <laughs> <Yeah>. before. <laughs> like, She's really good at uh, getting information from 
just random strangers. Just she, she she kind of like walks through the world almost like a hostess at a party. She's like trying to like hook people up and like align interests and like yes. get everybody talking and having a wonderful yes, time. Yeah. And the two of you end up like playing off each other so amazingly well. What's your working relationship like? Well, I guess, you know, yeah, yeah. What's your working relationship like? Because I, I do want to talk about Coco Dreams because it's such an awesome show. Yeah. Uh, um, I'd love to hear you talk about where it came from and, and what you guys do. Well, um, we, so we worked on, on that show and like even other sketch shows that she, either like the Rebecca Robles show or, um, we did something for, uh, Rosie Whalen's like Halloween show a mm. couple years ago. Um, even though Rebecca and I are, are opposite energies, we have a very similar work style, which is uh, get everything done at the last minute. Yeah. <laughs> Just like we never, we write stuff down, but then we end up losing it and then <laughs> we just have to rewrite stuff. And, and um, yeah, it's always, it's a real mess, <laughs> but we, but we always have something at, in the end. Yeah. Like I worried that I think the last time we did Coco Dreams live in concert, we, um, I said, like, we need to get better organized. We need to have, like, a, a script or something. And um, we made a little progress with that. I mean, I was worried that we, would, we wouldn't have things together. And then the day of the show, I think she was a little bit worried about that, actually. That, like, it would, it would be a mess. And then in my head, I was, th- I was actually thinking, like, okay, well, we have something printed out so we should be okay. But um, it's either, like, w- between the two of us, one of us is, like, freaking out that we don't have something typed up. And then the other one's like, oh, it's okay. <laughs> and then, but then in the end, we all are mm. all, we're good. We, have, we end up having a good show. <laughs> is that the secret to your, to your success together? It's just, like, you take turns, like, balancing the other one? I think so. I think that that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, where did the idea for Coco Dreams Live in Concert come from? Oh, so. Um, well, first, can you explain? Can you sure. explain the show to oh, anybody who hasn't seen it? Yes. So Coco Dreams is a '70s soul singing duo. Um, they were very popular um, around the time. So, like, if you think of like the Motown sound, like Aretha Franklin. Um, you picture these two women. They're from uh, Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, they had some hits, or they they had a song that was on the radio once, and they think they're more of um, more of a hit than they actually are. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had a couple albums throughout the years, and then they took like a little break from each other, and then they got back together. And so this show is their uh, greatest hits, they're promoting their greatest hits album. And all the promotions are photos of them from the 70s, so they're a lot younger and, you know, more lively, whatever. (laughs) And so Coco Dreams, you know, almost 40 years later, they're uh, not as, they're not as big as they would like, so they have to take the Megabus to New York and they have to, um, you know do county fair shows. Um, they had one really good show in um, the uh, 
Chili's to go at in Terminal Eight <laughs> of the J, JFK Airport, which is fine. You know, they get they'll do a show wherever they can, but they're doing this show and they're um, you know, a little forgetful. Things are not in the right places. There are some surprise visits um, because uh, Hazel's uh, ex-husband was actually uh, their manager, Car- Carl Rivera. <laughs> and um, like he, he pops up in the show once mm-hmm. or twice. Played by Jamie Rivera, right? Played by Jamie, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, they're, and the songs are all really silly. So like they're... they're Smash hit was Neighborhood Plumber, and that song is basically about how they clogged the toilet, and at uh, 2 in the morning, they called this plumber, and he was so handsome. His name was Gregory, <laughs> and uh, yeah, <laughs> they wrote a song about it. And, and you guys sound amazing. It, it, like That's something that people should know, that like there's this like comical... Uh, kind of like B-grade backstory to both of these women, but you guys sound awesome Thank when you, you. Sing together. Well, Rebecca is a train, a classically trained singer and has done jazz singing and stuff like that, so she has a great voice, and I can fake it. Yeah. Have you not, have you not trained in singing at all? <laughs> uh, not really. I, I played the flute for many years and played the piano, and I'm a musical person. I actually I have perfect pitch, which means... Uh, a lot to musicians, but doesn't mean anything if you're not like performing music often yeah. or talking to someone who doesn't understand music. But like if you play a note, I can identify it right away. Wow. And um, so I, I can carry a tune because of that. But I have a very my voice, my singing voice isn't like great. Yeah. <laughs> what um, for you guys, like what's like the the the, the comedy secret to uh, uh to the two of them like what it because like there's something about like people who refuse to get down or, or refuse to to let themselves like we'll take any any place you want us to perform mm-hmm. we will perform yeah uh, uh, uh and kind of like finding the best in the situation and kind of making it work and and like pulling through there's something about that that like there's a certain element of like sadness to it and, yeah. and like holding on to to like these dreams that didn't quite happen yeah that gives it like a depth but but it's not a sad show it's a really fun show right what 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 is the idea behind it for you guys that really works for you um well i i you asked me another question and i'll just tie it into this so um how we got started yeah i was um i was gonna do a character on uh jana and lauren presents which is a character show and I didn't know what I was going to do, and then I, I asked Rebecca if she wanted to, like, do something with me. And I sort of had an idea. I was like, oh, I was thinking maybe, like, like an, a 70s, I, I said, like, a 70s uh, singing duo, and they just do, like, funny songs. And she was like, oh, that's a great idea. And she, I think the funny behind, like, playing these characters that... um don't want to let go is like we've seen people like that before Mm -hmm. and she she tells me this all the time of this i think she went to like a county fair in california and there was um either the spinners i think it was the spinners and a lot of these like soul groups 
um, and like Motown groups, they have new performers with the old ones. And there's just, the performance she saw, they were like fighting for the mic. Mm-hmm. And it, it just looked really sad because they were performing at a fair and they didn't want to, they're like, no, this is my time to shine. And they were like trying to take the spotlight in, in today. Yeah. And just being like, no, I know my glory days were back then, but damn it, I'm going to make it happen today. Um, and, and we just, we just kind of translated that. We're like, this seems, it's funny, but it's not like we're laughing at them. We, we've seen these people. We know these people. Like, I feel like the version, the, the, my character, um, Dina, is a little bit like my mom in that, not that she's like holding on to something, but like the, uh, the ideas of um, just like the way she talks. Mm-hmm. So I, I, uh, I sound a little bit like her when I do Dina's voice and some of the things she says. Um, just like their beliefs are are definitely from people that we know and yeah. f- definitely from like my mom or like my aunts yeah um and it's just fun. We do this. we were like improvising it um the few times we like rehearsed before the j and l show, and it just just flowed naturally. We were just able to come up with material and it just kept going and it made made us laugh and we were like okay well it's making us laugh hopefully it'll make other people laugh yeah and it, it did that's a good <laughs> that's a good test for it yeah the like finding i don't know like i find a lot of ideas that make me laugh begin from like looking at people that make me feel a little bit sad in real mm-hmm. life mm-hmm but then there's like a sense of like, but I get them and and I kind of like have like a warmth to, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and, and like vanity too is always so funny. That thing of like being in like a fair and, and it's like not the sexiest yeah. place in the world to, to, right. to be showing off, but still like needing to have that spotlight. Right. You could look at it from like a really sad vantage point, but there's also something kind of like very like robust about that to me. There's something about like how like elastic a person's ego is and a person's vanity is that like it's a source of strength in a way that like from one angle can be kind of like ugly and and it's easy to make fun of but in another way if you can like tap into it from like that point of view and and see kind of like what's sort of great about this person uh, uh um you're able to like celebrate it goes back to that idea of like yeah. celebrating somebody's weirdness or, yeah. or or in this case celebrating somebody's like maybe flaw mm-hmm. would be a way to look at it, but making it something that we love about them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I think, I think I was listening to an interview with Joe Bill. Mm. I'm pretty sure it was Joe Bill. And, 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 and he had said that like, y- y- you want to get into the habit of translating when you're kind of like with somebody and you're thinking about like what bugs you about that person or what you don't like about that person, translating it into instead, no, that's what I love about them. Mm. And like, I've actually found like, it's a really interesting way to suddenly uh, um, look at somebody a little bit more closely. Yeah. 
uh, 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 and to be a little bit more like accepting of that person and, and, and a little bit more like open in general, but it's a way to like, look, f- I don't know, reframing it of like, Oh, that thing that annoys me about you or that thing that is sad about you or that thing that pisses yeah. me off or whatever. It's like, no, that's actually the thing that makes you so wonderful. It seems like such a rich way to think and to come up with ideas and to come up with ways to like celebrate these characters that like you kind of have in you anyway. Cause a lot of times if something annoys you about somebody, there's probably a good chance that some of that is in you already. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like uh, uh, at least for me, like I get the most annoyed by things that like secretly I kind of like, yeah, I get it. Uh, uh, you know, anyway, I don't know what I'm saying. Oh, that's interesting. That's, uh, I was kind of thinking about something like that today. Hmm. Um, speaking of Rebecca, she does, uh, a lot of, she'll like tag people on Facebook, um, constantly (laughs) and for seemingly no reason sometimes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was thinking about that today where I was like, oh, that really bugs me. That annoys me. Why does she always have to do that? Um, or like tag me and say like, I love you and like have a million like heart. Yeah. Uh, emojis <clears throat> but I should actually I mean it's plus it's not the worst thing yeah. a person can do it's actually really sweet yeah <laughs> so I should yeah look at it like that <laughs> I think like there's something misleading about expecting that like <clears throat> what we love about people <clears throat> always feels like wonderful I yeah. you know like I, I think that there's this kind of like disnified lie that that like culturally we we bought into at some point of like eradicate bad feelings and only have warm good feelings and 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 it's not quite true because like real life is way messier than that and and yeah. the stuff that you really dig about people is oftentimes the fucking like pebble in your shoe about them yeah. too it, they they are like one in the same thing so often and being able to like take that like step back and look at them and be simultaneously annoyed and delighted i think is not only like a pretty good way to to try to practice seeing things, mm-hmm. but I think it's like one of the things that I love most about comedy because it, it comedy is all about taking a step. You're like you're watching people from like one degree of removal, and you're just far enough away where where what's annoying about this character doesn't really have to bug you. You can laugh at it because you're not really too involved in it, but you also get to see that kind of contradiction of like simultaneously this person just has their head in the fucking clouds. (laughs) And at the same time, uh, um, man, they carry on. Holy cow. They just like keep on going in a way that like you really are delighted by. Like I, I, I like, I guess I've been thinking about this a lot recently, how like comedy can give a certain perspective. It teaches us how to like look at things from enough of a distance that we, there's like an element of irony and an element of kind of like wickedness to comedy, Mm -hmm. but it's not always a mean thing necessarily. Like sometimes that element of irony actually puts you in the right relationship where you can enjoy somebody for their flaws or enjoy somebody for elements of their character that you might, in real life overlook or disregard or or kind of be shitty about. Yeah. I think about like David Brent on the office with that uh, of like in real life, he would just be such an unlikable, you would just avoid him at all costs. But in the show, you learn to kind of like love him and feel for him and, and get into his mind a little bit. I, I, 
because comedy isn't asking you to love people, I actually find that I connect with people watching comedy way more than I do watching like sad movies. Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, sorry. Two more things I want to talk about. Okay. Two more quick things. Um, uh, so you have uh, uh, created a one person show, which has gone through the fringe process. I'm very curious to hear about that called, uh, uh the Alexis Lambright. Can we talk about this? Yes. The absolutely. Alexis Lambright telethon, telethon to combating, combat, combating, combating adult, adult virginity. virginity. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, there's an article from the New York post dated August 8th, 2013 uh, uh, the headline of the article is woman held onto her virginity for 10 years in New York City and turned her celibacy into one woman show uh, and there's a great interview with you in the article and you describe yourself in the article as, as being shy and you describe being uh, um, going to Catholic school and and, and uh, um, saving yourself for marriage and you know um, how do you how do you how do you go from being uh, uh, shy to having a headline uh, about you in the New York Post uh, uh, <laughs> describing your sex life for everybody? What, what yeah. is that like for you? Well, um, to be honest, uh, I hated that Post yeah. article. I'm sorry. It was, it, I mean, it was fine. I, like, it happened, and I'm, I don't think... I would have had as many people come see the show at the Fringe Festival had that not happened. Mm -hmm. um, but so uh, in the beginning, I was so yeah. I, I uh, where do I where do I start with writing the show? Maybe I'll start with that. Okay. okay. Um, so there were these things that happened in my life. They were like just weird or awkward, like just. Um, a love life that just like a lacking love life or when I tutored um, a student, an adult male uh, Korean man who um, I was tutoring him in English in like conversational English. And like our last tutoring session turned into a date mm -hmm. and uh, it was really awkward, and I ended up. I went home and told my roommate, and she was laughing, and she was like, "Oh, you have to do something with this story. You can't just like let it go. You you gotta turn it into a video or something like that." I'm like, mm, I don't know. And then I I think based on like the other stories that I had kind of written down, just like journaling or whatever, um, I decided I would create a uh, a one woman show, and didn't know exactly what to do with that show. Like, I had a script, and it was really messy in the beginning, and I got some feedback from other writers and directors. And um, it eventually, after another, uh, like, sad evening at home, I was like, oh, I wish, I wish, uh, I wish guys would just line up to date me or, like, or give me a call, because I was still a virgin at the time. And um, and it turned into this idea of like, oh, what if I had a telethon where I could get guys to call in to try to uh, like help me lose my virginity? And then I developed it into this script where the sh in the show we have like real callers call in, and um, in you know for safety reasons, obviously I don't call them back. Because they are randos, and I posted like the phone number. Um, 
I posted on Craigslist at one point because the show has gone has I performed it a lot at the Magnet Theater, and um, and uh, the very first two shows, I would post like a flyer that says like, would you be interested in um, curing a woman of chronic virginity or something like that. Please call this number. Yeah, it was really crazy. (laughs) It was a very crazy idea. The phone number, the phone number was a a Google phone. Okay. So it wasn't like, it would go to my phone, but if I didn't recognize the call, then I would wait. And then the voicemail message was this number to an organization that I had created called the New York Center for Adult Virginity Research or NICAVR for short. <laughs> and, uh, and I like treated it like it was a legit like organization. And I had a blog that was supposed to be like our website. And this was all just for the show. And um, around, so, so I applied to the 2013 New York International Fringe Festival and it got accepted and I raised some money and paid all the fees that I needed to pay. And, um, this woman, uh, Dory Lerak from The Post, found out about it through the blog. And she called the number and was like, oh, I wanted to know more about your organization. And um, she thought it was real. To know- yes, yeah. she, thought it- <laughs> she thought it was real. And she like wanted to speak to Alexa. Like she left a voicemail and said, you want to speak to me? And, and we spoke and I said, like, uh, just so you know, this is... Well, I sent her an email and I said... Um, just so you know, this is a, uh, it's not a real organization. It's just for the show. And, but then she followed up and said like, well, I'd still like to talk to you. And I was hoping I could do a story about like, um, you, because you, you know, you are a virgin and you're living in New York and we'd have like a nice photo shoot and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay. I talked it over with my director and he was like, it's publicity. You can get people <laughs> to your show. And I, because, like, I, even though the show, I had been doing the show saying, like, I was a virgin for a long time, and I was, and then at one point, I lost my virginity, and I was like, okay, what am I going to do about this show? So I added the, the ending, or I changed it, and I said, like, I recently have been cured of chronic virginity, um, but that's at the end of the show. Hmm. Um, I'm not, I haven't done it in a while and I'm probably not going to do the show again, so Mm. I can reveal it. But, um, (laughs) I also, when talking to this, this, um, journalist, um, I, she like talked to me about like growing up and stuff. And then I said, okay, uh, can we keep this off the record? I, you know, I actually recently lost my virginity, but... That's in the show, and I want to save that. I don't want it to be in the article because it ruined and it ruined the show mm-hmm. for people. And she was like, "Uh, pushing me. Like, mm-hmm. I really want this to be in the article. I think it would be a great thing for people to know." Blah blah blah. And I didn't like. She just they're good. Those were those they're journalists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They and and she um persuaded me to keep it in there but I was so frustrated that I didn't stick to what I wanted to do and I was angry about it and and like she read me the final draft before it went to print and um and I was I just I didn't like it at all but I I was just like okay just fine you didn't you didn't tell her 
I did. I, I was like, I'm, I don't like certain parts of this. And I said, and I really, really didn't want you to put that in there. And she was, she was convincing me that it would be a good thing and mm-hmm. that the readers would really appreciate your honesty and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, fine. And then the next day or like two days later, it went to print and, um, and it got a lot, a lot of attention. And after that, like the Daily Mail picked it up and then, um, this show that used to be on HLN, I think it recently went off the air called, uh, Showbiz Tonight. They contacted me and did an interview with me and I did an interview with Inside Edition, um, because it was, it was an interesting story and it brought in a lot of, uh, audience members to the show, which is what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I wanted people to at least see the show. Like it's one thing to read it. And I, I was glad that it wasn't like, Oh, well we find out that she's not a virgin anymore. I'm not going to go to the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people still came. Yeah. So that was good. What, what, what was it like having such a private thing be such a public uh, uh, be on such a display for everybody. Um, I mean, you wrote the show, so I, yeah. I assume, you know, uh, yeah. uh, I assume you knew what you were doing, but, but did the experience like, were you surprised by anything with that experience or, or I don't know. I, um, so when I wrote the show, even when I was like, uh, when I would like workshop the early versions of the script, um, anything that made me cringe, I would kind of, I just, like, brush it off. Mm-hmm. Be like, mm, you know what? It's not that bad. And I'm talking about myself. And, like, I, eventually I got really comfortable kind of talking about my lacking sex life. Mm-hmm. And um, and then with this the Post article, the only thing I was really worried about was um, I was talking about my, my ex-boyfriend. And... He doesn't live in New York anymore, but I called him and I was like, hey, just to let you know, they mentioned some stuff about you in the article and it's, it's nothing bad. It's just, they, they like talk about you a little bit and like our relationship ended. And that had to be a weird conversation. Yeah, it was weird. It was weird because one, he doesn't, he didn't know about it Mm. because he doesn't live in New York. And at the time I was dating someone else Mm. (laughs) and, uh, I also felt like there are still some feelings. It's it's complicated. It's weird. Yeah, Yeah. it was was a very complicated time. Um, But it, I mean, he was fine. He was like, "Oh, this is it's okay. Mm. I'm I'm fine with that. I won't read it if you don't want me to." (laughs) It's like you can if you want. It's it's gonna be on the on the website. Yeah, and. And it worked out okay. Yeah, it worked out okay. Yeah. That was fine. <laughs> how did you, how did, did your parents see all that stuff? Yeah. Um, I told them, <laughs> I told them about the article and my dad actually saw the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted my mom to see it, but she just wasn't able to come to, to New York to see the show. And he did, and I did not want him to see the show. Yeah. Um, but he wanted to, and <laughs> and it was weird because so like in the theater space um, where I performed. This was in L.A. This was in in, in New, New York. York. Yeah, okay. um, at the French. Yes, at the French. Okay. It, I performed at this uh, theater space across the street from Joe's Pub, mm-hmm. and um, 
the way the theater was set up, I would enter through the space, but like behind the audience. And I forgot about that. And so I told my older brother when they were going to see the show, my brother and my dad were both there. I was like, hey, can you all sit in the back so that I don't see you and like get in my head? And they sat in the back and then I walked through the back of the audience. So they were the first people I saw. And I got like really in my head. And I was like so nervous throughout the show. And it was like one of my one of my worst shows in New York. Mm. I, I had way worse shows at uh, Hollywood Fringe. It was not a good time. Mm. <laughs> um, but in the end, he and uh, I talked to him, my dad, the next day. I was like, "So, what do you think of the show?" I was like, "Oh, I thought it was hilarious." Wow, that's that's a you know big thing to say. Yeah, and um, it I felt relieved because. He, it was like I wasn't a little kid, and he said that. It was like he was talking to my mom about this prior to coming to New York. She said, because she knew about all, all the stuff I had gone through, I told her. And she said to him over the phone, she was like, oh, I'm, I'm just a little worried about stuff you're going to find out about this guy. I don't want you to go try and kill him, you know, mm-hmm. like playful um, and he was like, why would I do that? Like, they're adults. She's an adult. I don't, that's, I'm not in that place anymore. Yeah. Which was a surprise to me because I always think of my parents as being like, you know, you're my child. You're, you're a child until you get married. Or yeah. <laughs> There's always that, like gap and even after you get married like you're always still their kid yeah that's interesting like uh it's interesting how like you you have to kind of like make your own mark in that way like this act of like a very like bold thing to do and and share something very very intimate and 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 vulnerable and, and 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 that decision to like take the stuff that kind of makes you cringe a little bit and put it out there and own it it's interesting how like that kind of becomes like the proof of your adulthood in a way, you know what I mean? Like you earn your stripes as an yes. adult by, by kind of declaring yourself now it, it, it again, it's it, like coping with scary things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like return to that theme of, of like it, like, I don't know, you cope with those scary things and it's like your door out of this place. It helps you like, I don't know. I don't know. Move <laughs> forward. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, um, we're going to wrap this up in just a second uh, um, but I also want to talk about the Griot Show uh, oh, yeah. which you host periodically um, at the Magnet yes do you host it anywhere else or just at the Magnet uh, just at the Magnet yeah um, I've just I haven't been able to uh, put much time into that taking that show to other venues mm-hmm. but it's a possibility that I would like to look into for the new year yeah um, and there is not one coming up uh, uh, soon. Yeah. But you think it'll be bringing it back? I think so. Yeah. And, and I would say go to the magnet website cause it'll most likely be at the magnet. If I do it again, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yes. Um, but cool. yeah, please check for that on the magnet yes. website. Uh, uh, Alexis Lambright, it's a delight to talk to you. I'm so glad we finally got to speak. 
Thank you for having me, Lewis. Thank you this for, has been so much fun. <laughs> very lovely. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and thank you guys for listening. Uh, this has been the Magnet Theater Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Evan Ford Barton, our engineer, Grant Michael Goldberg, our executive producer, Ed Herpsman, and all of you kind and wonderful people for listening to the podcast. Uh, thanks again to Alexis Lambright. Please check her out online. Come visit her at the Magnet Theater. See The Wrath every Wednesday night. Come see the cast, which we completely forgot to talk about every... Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, Saturday uh, at uh, 10.30 for the time being. Uh, Please come out. Thank you very much, everyone. Thanks, Alexis. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. (laughs) You've been listening to the Magnet Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.